0: If you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, please. Hope you're all are enjoying the uh, cold weather. Doesn't sound like it. All right. <laughs> it's good. Uh, pastor Jim, our interim pastor, Jim Newcomer, he is in um, Durham, North Carolina this morning. This past weekend he has been. Him and Lori have been uh, there for a, uh, a a marriage conference because they're having issues. No, I'm just kidding. Don't start rumors there. They're leading it. So uh, uh, they're leading the marriage conference uh, down there. And what an opportunity. I think they were speaking a combination of seven times. So I think Lori was doing some breakout sessions as well. Uh, so, um, But they're, they're in Durham, North Carolina. So I'm Paul Campbell. I am the youth pastor here at the church. And uh, we started last time that I spoke, we started working through the book of Colossians, a letter to the, the Colossian believers there. And I wanted to keep moving through that. So I, I want I want us to look at Colossians chapter one and um, kind of give you uh, recap what we talked about last couple of times last time I taught, and then we'll jump into the significant text in starting in verse 15. Now, what's going on in Colossians? Well, the book of Colossians, there, uh, the Apostle Paul seems to be addressing some kind of issue that's going on in uh, in Colossae. Now, he's not really clear on what the issue actually is, the very issue that he's, he's speaking against. Like there's some false teaching, and he's not clear on exactly what it is. But it sounds like to me that there are a number of false teachings happening in Colossae. Uh, this city was... was a very diverse kind of city. So, not only was it diverse socially and economically, but it was diverse religiously. And so people were trying to look at many different ways to get to God kind of thing. And he's saying, the answer to these false teachers is Christ. That's the answer. So, he, he says, don't, don't, Uh, don't go after these different kinds of... Look at chapter 2, verse 8. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We just read that together. Don't go after this thing. Look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or whether, or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So he's saying there's these different kinds of influences coming into this church. And he's not specific on exactly what it is, exactly what the teaching is, but he's saying whatever it is, the answer is Christ. A high Christology. A high view of Jesus. So, in chapter 1, um, he starts off with. Uh, I heard one commentator say about another text this is the kind of thing that letters are made of. He addresses the people there, and then he talks about how thankful he is to God for them, for their influence, for the gospel's influence in their lives. And then he prays for them, that they would increase in knowledge. Look at verse 9 in chapter 1. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. It's Paul and Timothy. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I love the, all the things going into the head there, it sounds like. You will be filled with knowledge of his will, uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every kind of work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And you'll be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So He says to them, Thank you. He thanks God for His God's work in their lives. He's able to see the the, transfer, the transformation of the gospel's transforming work in their lives has reached back to Paul. He placed, uh, from Colossae, a place where he may have not even visited. Now, then, he's, then he says, this is how I'm praying for you. You would increase in knowledge so you won't be worthless. You won't be lacking fruit. And God's going to give you the power. Now look what the Father and the Son have done for us, for them. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been rescued by Christ he has forgiven us of our sins do we get the weight of that do we see our sins so clearly that when we read something like this we're just like why why we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son he has forgiven us Of our sins. Well, the next section is about the supremacy of Christ in all things. And that's where we're going to land today. And we're going to spend all kinds of time. The supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme. Now, I like to ask this question. What do you think of... um, I'm going to take this off so it's not a distraction. But if anybody sees number 82, let me know. And if anybody has a word, come forward and take over. I'm just kidding. Um, I like to ask, Christ, Christ is supreme, the supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme. Now, when you think of supreme, what comes to mind? Pizza, right? I know you all were thinking that, some of you at least. Pizza, Red Baron Teamstone, something like that. All right. Christ is supreme. We think, what? what is that? Christ is preeminent. That's some big words. Christ is everything. He is above everything. He ranks above all. So, that's what this section is about. And there's two parts to this section that we're going to talk about and they the two points that we're going to hit on this morning are these two. Number 1, Christ rules his creation. Number 2, Christ rules his new creation. Number 1, Christ rules his creation. Christ is the center of God's work in creation, and number 2, Christ rules his new creation. Christ is the center of God's work in redemption. So let's read this text together. Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20. He is Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. I'm just going to stop right here and ask you to buckle up. There's a lot of stuff in here. A lot of powerful words. So focus in hard on what is being said here and see these two sections. Christ. Rules his creation and Christ rules his new creation. Okay, let's start all over. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Blood of the cross. This section right here uh, is called uh, the Colossian hymn. It's uh, he changes style in this letter to write a hymn or quote a hymn. We don't know exactly if he's writing it or if he's quoting it or if he's taking a hymn and he's he's he's. Um, He's messed with it just a little bit to make to suit his purposes. So maybe it was a common hymn, maybe it was something that he was writing. So we don't know if it was wrote or I think of wrote or quote. We don't know if it was if he wrote it or he quoted. So um, but here it is. He changes it and he he's 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 using this very grandiose language about Christ. And here's the structure. There's two parts to it, but Uh, focus in on verse 17 through 18a. uh, That is what some commentators, and I agree with these commentators, that they would say that that section, verse 17 through 18a, where it says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. That section right there acts as a kind of bridge between two stanzas. It's getting really complicated. Alright, so, verses 15 through 16 is stanza number 1. Verses 17 through 18a, you're going to see this kind of bridge. The first part of 17 is, he is before all things. He's going to point back to stanza 1. This The last part in verse 18a, and he is the head of the body the church, is going to point to stanza 2. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and then there's this middle phrase, and in Him, all things hold together. That's the center. In Him, all things hold together. That's the center of this hymn. Now, number one, Christ rules. His creation. Christ is the center of God's work in creation. Let's move through this text. He is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. God is invisible, but he has an image. This draws our mind. There's lots of creation language in here. This draws our mind back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26. Let me turn there real fast and I'll read it to you. Genesis chapter 1, it's towards the beginning, right? Uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let let them have dominion over the fish, of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, God creates man in his image, all mankind. He creates man in his perfect image, but mankind falls. We fail. We fell. The image of God has been marred. Did we lose the image of God? No. We still possess the image of God, but it has been marred. We still have the image of God. We can look at Genesis chapter 9, which talks about how we shouldn 't murder people because they are made in the image of God we should we could look at J- James chapter three, where it talks about how we shouldn 't slander people with our tongues. how can we bless God and with the same mouth we curse people who are made in the image of God? so we still bear the image of God that 's a different sermon. Um, We still bear the image of God. And God is invisible, but Jesus becomes the ultimate revelation of God himself. He is the perfect representation of God. We are to be a perfect representation of God, but that was marred, that was um, changed. We still possess his image, but Christ is the ultimate perfect representation of God. God is most clearly seen in Christ. Most clearly seen in Christ, the God-man. So, he is the image of the invisible God, which also draws my mind back to Romans chapter 1. Can we look at Romans chapter 1 together? Just to the left a few pages. Romans chapter 1. Look with me in verse 18. Because I I thought God can be clearly seen somewhere else. And it's true. Look here in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their righteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse so in other words god created all things and he is clearly seen he says the text says what can be known by god is plain to them because god has shown it to them and has been clearly perceived since the creation of the world the things that have been made so they are without excuse what's man's response Look at verse 21, Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So mankind, they see, it can be clearly seen that there is a God in creation god is clearly seen in creation and they suppress it mankind we suppress that truth we worship the creation rather than the creator but god is clearly seen in creation But also from that text, we realize that general revelation, that's called general revelation. God revealing himself through creation, that's called general revelation. He reveals himself in a general way through all, to all mankind. But general revelation is not enough to turn our hearts to him. We need something else. We need Christ. We need God. God to remove the veil from our eyes so we can see Christ clearly. We need to see Christ. We need to know Christ. People need Christ. All mankind needs to see Christ. We need to be giving it to them. Proclaiming this message of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Because He is the image, the representation, the perfect revelation of God. The perfect revelation of God. We just read from Philippians chapter 2 how he did not consider equality with God a thing to cling to, a thing to hang on to. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself, became man. He became a slave, becoming man. Obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. This is, I mean, this is the incarnation. God becomes man. This is what Christmas is all about. It's, It's coming up, isn't it? Christmas, we have a unique, a unique opportunity, maybe not every year we have this opportunity to, um, to speak of Christian things this time of year, about Christmas. We, we get to uh, enter into Godward conversations just because there's a holiday coming up. Thanksgiving, Christmas... Who are we thankful to? Who's Paul thankful to in Colossians chapter? We're thankful to God. Christmas, we see the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We get to explain to people why we celebrate Christmas. The incarnation. And I can't wait to start singing Christmas songs. We sang a Christmas song this past Wednesday night in youth group, and it was fantastic. We should sing incarnation songs all year round. Is that all right, Paul? I'll talk to Paul later about that. <laughs> we'll we'll have a discussion. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Incarnation. What an opportunity! Christ is the perfect image of God, and He is who we are to strive to be. So Paul is going to go there here in Colossians. Look at chapter three in verse ten with me. Chapter three in verse ten. Yeah. Of Colossians, we're back in Colossians. Sorry. Chapter 3 in verse 10. He's talking. He's, he's in this put off, put on kind of language. Put to death, but now live. Look at verse 10 in chapter 3. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. Remember that from chapter 1? After the image of its creator. So we are to strive to be like Christ in this. The image of the invisible God. He's also called, in chapter chapter 1, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Now, does that mean he was the first part of creation? Does it mean he was created? The firstborn of all creation? The first part of creation? Is that what's going on here? Is it like he was created before the rest of creation? This is a conclusion that many have drawn uh, that dates all the way back to the 4th century with a guy named Arius. They say that Christ was created. We call that a heresy. And uh, I was talking to one of the professors here, Tom Daly. He said, if you're going to go anywhere uh, to, uh, to something like this, so loosely quoted. So uh, um, If you're going to go anywhere to talk about Christ being created, you don't want to go to this text because of what's coming. The firstborn of all creation. Now, what do we mean by firstborn? Um, we're, we mean firstborn as in preeminence, as in status or rank or superiority. That's what we mean when we. That's what he's saying when he says firstborn. Okay. You, do you all know about firstborn superiority? Maybe in your own families, firstborn rank. You get the firstborn status. Okay. I dealt with this my entire life. I'm a middle child. You know how that goes. My parents don't even know I exist anymore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the firstborn, my older brother, he gets his own room. I get to share. I get to share with my younger brother. Yay. He gets firstborn privileges. And then finally, when he went off to college, I got in my own room for one year. It's fantastic. Firstborn kind of privilege. Privilege. Maybe we see that. Uh, we see that even in our own lives with firstborn privilege. Uh, maybe it's uh, you have a situation where the firstborn got to do a lot of things, and then messed up those lots of things, so the secondborn gets to do nothing. <laughs> Had a friend like that. His older brother got in a lot of trouble, so he got to do nothing. He got the privilege. The older brother got the privilege. Now, that's what we're saying. We say firstborn of all creation. He is preeminent. It's firstborn in rank or status, superiority. He outranks all things in creation. Christ is distinguished from all other created things as before them in time and as above them as supreme. Doug Moose says this, verse 15, as a whole, presents Christ in unique relationship with God. You see that? he presents, Verse 15 presents Christ as in unique relationship with God. He's the image of the invisible God and in unique relationship to his creation. He is the acting subject who extends God's activities to the creatures that follow him. The firstborn of all creation. Look at the next thing, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. A lot of repetition here. So you have this, look at the prepositions here. English lesson. We're going to look at the prepositions here. for, that's that's a conjunction, by him, verse 16. And then at the very end of 16, you have two other prepositions, through him and for him. So, by him, uh, maybe a, a more literal translation would be something like, in him, in him, through him, and for him. All things were created in Christ, all things were created through Christ, all things were created for Christ. All things? Like, what do you mean, all things? And he says it right here everything, whether it's in heaven or it's on earth, or if you can see it or if you can't see it, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, what does he mean by that phrase, in him? This is a a personal phrase that he's going to use a few times being in Christ, the mystery that we are in Christ, end of chapter 1. We are in Christ. In Him. All things were created in Christ. It's, it's hard to put into words what this means, but I think one commentator says this. He wants to make the general point that all of God's creative work took place in terms of, or in reference to, Christ. So it's a general statement about what all of creation is in reference to. Christ. On the terms of Christ. All creation is contained in Christ. In other words, it's all part of His plan. It's all in reference to Him. It, this is all His. Everything that is happening is for His glory. The good things we see all over the world and the, the bad things, the tragedy, the chaos that we see all over the world, they're, they're all part of His plan to bring Himself the most glory and for our good. Even the darkest day In history. Was part of his sovereign plan. Remember this from Acts chapter 2 verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And this was foretold as early as Genesis chapter 3. All things, in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, powers, authorities. It's like just in case I left something else, uh, something out. I'm going to mention everything. All of these things, if through Him, He is the one who created everything. He is the cause of all things. Christ created all of it, and it's all for Him. It's all for Him everything for His glory. Christ stands at the beginning of the universe as the one through whom it came into being, and He stands as its end goal. So the created order of the universe universe is His work. It's His work. The visible things that we see all around us, the, the invisible things that we have trouble seeing sometimes the concepts that we have trouble thinking through. That's all his work. The invisible war that is happening between the good and evil angels right now. We don't see what is happening, and we tend to forget the fact that we stand against the schemes of the devil. It reminds me of screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, where um, the one demon is told, Don't Show yourself, because then they'll remember that you exist. For we don't, this is Ephesians chapter 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We don't wrestle flesh and blood, but principalities of the dark. But all of these things, Christ rules over. Remember when Satan had to come to, to God to ask permission to go after Job? He's in control. And through it all, through all of these things, Christ gets the glory. It's all ultimately for him. Now, the writers of the Constitution of the United States, they may have thought they created a throne called the Office of the President of the United States. But No. It's Christ. He is supreme over all thrones. All power. All authority. He's supreme over them. He is over them. He has created them for His glory. He's supreme over all things. No matter what's out there, Christ outranks them all. The firstborn of all creation. Christ is supreme over the entire angelic realm. F.F. Bruce says this, For those who have been redeemed by Christ, the universe has no ultimate terrors. They know that their Redeemer is also Creator, He's the ruler, and He's the goal of all. All things in Christ, through Christ, and for christ now this bridge he is before all things look at verse look at verse 17 he is before all things that points backward to the first stanza he is before all things in him all things hold together that's the center in verse 18 and he is the head of the body of the church that points to the next stanza verse 17 he is before all things in time he's before all things he's before all things in rank he is the pre-existent one and the pre-eminent one In him all things hold together. That's the center of the hymn. That's the focal point. He is in complete control of everything. Think about how startling that claim must have been when he writes this. As these people then are proclaiming this message to people. And they're like, I saw that man. That you're talking about who's in control of everything? I saw him and he died on a cross. He was killed by Romans. I saw him. And Paul is saying, and believers are saying, no, that man who you thought was just a man was actually God himself. And he rules all over, over everything. And he's the firstborn of that. He has resurrected. He's in control. This is not deism. The deism is the belief that God created the world. He created the universe and he spun it. And then he backed off. That kind of idea. Like, he created this thing, and then he's not a personal God. He's not involved in his creation anymore. Now, that is a false teaching. And it's not deism. He's saying that Christ, in him, all things hold together. God did not simply create and then withdraw from it. He is actively involved. Christ is actively involved. No matter how much we may deceive ourselves into thinking we are doing just fine without Christ. He is the one holding things together. The earth is not self-sufficient. And neither are we. We are not self-sufficient. Even those who do not acknowledge Christ's reign and those who actively oppose him are entirely dependent on him. They just don't know it. Now, may we line up our lives with that reality. May we live like that's true. Do you see how the belief in that connects to life? It connects to living? Let's live a Christ-dependent kind of life. Because that's the truth. That's reality. We are dependent on Him. Let's live like it. We may look around us and, and see chaos, see difficulty, but it's not chaotic to him. He's holding it all together. Do we believe this? Do we believe that God is in control of all things? Do we believe that Christ is in control of his creation? Did he know about France being attacked? Of course he did. And it's all for his glory and for our good. We, we don't know. We, through, through tragedy, we don't we don't always know how it is for our good and for his glory. We don't know. We, we'd love to have the one for one, right? Like this bad thing happened, but this even greater thing happened over here. We want that kind of view sometimes. We don't get it. We want to be like God in that. Don't we? But We trust him. Because he is in control of all things. We serve a great and good God. So, not only does Christ rule in his creation, he rules in his new creation. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He shifts his focus a little bit here. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the head. He is the governing member of the body. He controls it. He provides life. Remember, in this in this church here in Colossae, people are arguing. The ultimate uh, spiritual experience, they're saying, is found not just in Christ, but in something in addition to Christ. Here's Christ, but let's add this too. And if we add this, then we will be some kind of more robust kind of belief system. And Paul is saying, no, just Christ. He's saying Christ is the head. He is the one who provides and sustains life. He controls his people. Christ is the source of all direction and life. He is the head. So, what do you think about this statement? Knowing that Christ is the preeminent in the universe, and he is preeminent within the new creation, the assembly of believers, he is He is in control of all things, and, but he is superior. He ranks above everything. What do you think about this statement that I read from one commentator? The church does not exist to meet the needs of its members, or to ensure its institutional survival, but to fulfill the redemptive purposes of Christ, its head. think about that. The church does not exist to meet the needs of its members, or to ensure the institutional survival, but to fulfill the redemptive purposes of Christ, its head. Which may include those things, but those are not the ultimate purpose. Everything is all about Christ. The church is all about Christ. That's why I like to tell the teens over and over. When you come to church, when you gather as when we gather as believers, the two greatest commandments do not disappear. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love neighbor. What about ourselves? I I'd like to ask what's, there's no one person left out of that. Love God, love There's One person left out, me. Two greatest, greatest commandments do not disappear when we gather together as believers, when we live life together as believers. We come to worship our great God because we love Him so much and we come to serve other people. What do we just do to ourselves? Deny ourselves. He is the head. If we keep Christ as our head, if He is the governor and our guide, then may this gospel be, Bear fruit and increase all around the world, like we saw in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Which has come, this gospel has come to you, as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. May it do that here, because Christ is our head, and we're following him ultimately. These other things that we're looking for, those are secondary at best. But when we come here, we come to worship our great. Savior Jesus Christ. So how do we know if're if Christ is our head, as if we're living how do we know that we're living in that reality we're living the right way as if Christ is our head because he is well the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing as indeed it is in the whole world. Is it bearing fruit and increasing? you see it? Christ is our head and we are His body, the church. Do you have that imagery in mind? He is the beginning. Next phrase. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. He is the beginning. The meaning of that is he is the founder. And not only is he the firstborn of all creation, we saw in verse 15, but he's the firstborn from the dead. In other words, his resurrection initiated something. It is the first of many resurrections that will come. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 20. The dead will be raised because we believe in Christ. In his resurrection, there's an eschatological hope here. There's an end times kind of hope here. Firstborn of the dead, we will rise so that in everything he may be preeminent. This is our Messiah. This is our Christ. He demonstrates his power over the fallen and rebellious world by dying and rising again. Wait, doesn't Christ already have supremacy as the firstborn over all creation? Doesn't he already have? We just talked about how he's, he is in control. He's supreme over everything. Is, doesn't he already have supremacy over the, as the firstborn over all creation? Why this other part about the church? Wright says this, what Christ had by natural right, he had not yet exercised. Christ is ruling the church in order to eventually bring all things under his rule. He is ruling, but he will bring everyone, reconcile all things to himself, verse 20. He will rule. All will live in that reality. They'll see it. So, there's an assumption here that things are not right currently. And we're going to get to a little more of that tonight. There's an assumption that things are not all right currently. We, that's easy for us to look around and think, yeah, this world is not right. That's easy for us to do. We live in a fallen world. We see it day by day by day. And all creation waits this final restoration of all things. Everything back to complete harmony. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God. You see that in verse 19? In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God. He's fully God. Not partially God. He's fully God. And also, fullness of God is found in Christ. Christ. You have these Colossian believers that are looking for fullness, they're looking for fullness satisfaction somewhere else. And he's like, no, fullness of God is found in Christ. We go after Christ. Don't go after these things over here in addition to Christ. That's false. Go after Christ. So not only is he God, but also fullness is found in Christ. False teachers are saying fullness is found here or there or wherever. And you're saying, no, fullness is found in Christ. Go to him. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. His death and his resurrection has an effect on all people right now. And will have its complete fulfillment in the end. It's not a universalism, but everything will be laid to rest. Everything will be a final restoration of all things. Everything will be laid to rest. Right will be made right. Right will be honored and evil will be destroyed. Like the end of a good story or a movie. Everything laid to rest. What do we do with this? Man, I could go on for days on application on what these things mean. These are some powerful statements, some lofty statements of who Christ is. So we look at this text and I want us to be asking each other. Maybe we ask this in our ABS class. So what? What? Yeah, that's true. He's the image of the invisible God. So? Why do we need to believe that? He's first, firstborn of all creation. So? Why do we need to believe that? He's all these things. Ask that question. It's like, why is that truth so important? What does that do for us? I have a few points that I just want to uh, tick off real quickly. Number one. Will you worship Christ as our creator and sustainer? Worship him. This kind of hymn causes us to want to fall on our knees in worship of our great Savior who is is creator and sustainer of all things. Do we worship Him? And I would call anyone who has not done this, who has not decided to place their faith in Jesus, to trust now. Receive Him. Repent. Turn from the way that you are headed and turn towards Christ who is the creator and sustainer of all things. Live in that reality. This truth that Christ is creator and sustainer. Number two, through difficulty, trust Christ. He's in control. This one's really hard. This one's really hard. We face difficulty. And we ask the question, why? We, we want to know why. But we trust him who is in control of all things. Like I said, we sometimes want to see that one-for-one one kind of thing, but we want to be like God. It draws my mind back to Job. And Job and his friends discussing, why are these things happening? Why? Why? Job has these reasons. It was not this because of this. And his friends are like, it must be this because of this. And it's all these, all these things, all these things. And we're waiting for the main character to step in and speak, aren't we? Like, Job, yeah, cool. He's, he's, he's a man. He really seems like a really nice man. His friends, not really sure about his friends. They have all these different opinions on what's going on. And can the main character just step in and tell us what's going on? And he puts us all to shame. He puts the children to shame. He says, I I can't even talk. Where were you when I created everything? And I wasn't there. Do we trust him? Do we trust our great, glorious? christ number three keep christ the head of our church body the ruler the governor of our church keep him as the head of the church it's not a man it's a savior christ number four let christ control your life now we've talked about that live in that kind of reality that he is in control live like you believe that to be true and number five He's coming back. So keep hope. We will be resurrected. So through this difficulty, we can say, man can only kill the body, but we need to be fearing God who can kill both body and soul in hell. So fear God. Trust in Him. We will be resurrected. Christ will will resurrect us. The firstborn from the dead. What do we say after this? Praise God. From whom? All blessings flow. Let's pray, dear God. After reading this text, we just we pause in awe of who you are. We we're in wonder. We're in amazement that this Christ can be ours. Lord, will you help us to live like we believe in these truths? Will you help us to, to live like we believe that you are in control of all things? Will you help us to live like we really are dependent on our Savior day by day to Save us from our sins in the sanctification process every single day. We need you. We need help. We need you in this war against Satan, who is like a lion that wants to devour us. Thank you that we have a God who rules over all of these things. So no matter what, we can trust you. You, are, you outrank every human being. You outrank every angelic being. You are above them all. You control all of them. So, Lord, we, we are just in all of your glory in the way that you've worked and you decided to be the head of our church we live like we believe that too may we follow hard after you as our governor may our priorities line up with your priorities for our church for this body we look forward to the day when you return to gather your body we pray this in jesus name amen we'll sing now in praise of God's redemptive work in our lives, arise, my soul, arise. Let's stand.